RFK Jr. Pulling at 20%. And I was trying to get, I had made a documentary, participated in the making of a documentary about the impacts of mercury in vaccines on neurodevelopmental disorders in children. This sudden epidemic that had begun in 1989 of neurodevelopmental disorders. And he, he had a relative who had been affected that he believed was um, was vaccine injured. And he always would put me on his shows. I had this weird relationship with Roger Ailes because I had spent three months in a tent with him and when I was 19 years old in Africa. And we had this friendship. You know, he was a very clever, witty guy and he had not started Fox News. He had just left the, the running the Nixon campaign communications. And he he had stepped out from the Merv Griffin show, and uh, but I had this lasting friendship with him, and he was a very loyal friend. And he would always make the hosts of Fox TV to put me on, talk about environmental issues. So I was the only environmentalist for a decade that was going on Fox News, and I I looked at him kind of as a Darth Vader, you know, of what he had done to. Uh, to uh, American television and communications, but I still had this strange friendship with him. So he would always put me on, and I went to him to try to get on to talk about this documentary. He looked at it. His assistant, Mike Clemente, was running the station at that time. The network looked at it, and both of them loved it. And he said, we can't let you on. And he told me at that time, he said, if any of my hosts independently let you on to talk about this, I would fire them. I would have to fire them. And he said, if I didn't fire them, I would get a call from Rupert within 10 minutes. Rupert Murdoch. And he said to me at that time, he said, 75% of my evening news division advertising revenues are coming from pharmaceutical companies. And he, he told me, he told me that of the 22 ads on the typical evening news show, that typically 17 or 18 of those were pharmaceutical ads. And uh, so that, you know, that tells it all. And I've seen again and again and again, you know, people like Jake Tapper, who did this, he worked with me for three weeks doing this incredible documentary on an article that I published in 2005 about a secret meeting um, that DEC sponsored with 75 vaccine makers about how to hide from the American public the links between autism and vaccines. They, they, and I, I obtained the transcripts of these from those meetings. I published them in Rolling Stone. And Jake Tapper, prior as the Rolling Stone uh, publication date approached, he spent three weeks with me doing an exclusive for ABC, which he was then working for. On my article, a companion piece, and the night before the piece was supposed to run, he called me up and he said, the piece just got killed by corporate. And he said, in all my career, I have never had a piece killed by corporate, and I'm so mad. And then uh, after that, I called him, I called him the next day, and he went dark. And I've never spoken to him again, but he's become kind of this shill for pharmacists. And so, um, and I've watched that happen to so many, uh, you know, uh, announcers on TV. You think that's what happened to Tucker Carlson? Well, I think it might be. I mean, the timing is good, but there was a lot of reasons they may have wanted to get rid of Tucker. 
Uh, yeah, but know, it's a strange move, babe, because I think Fox probably got rid of Fox News by getting rid of Tucker. You know, it's such a, it's a move they, they to be in. They, they seem to have lost a big audience, and it is weird. I mean, he, Tucker was getting 4.5 million viewers a night, and compare that to CNN. CNN gets about uh, three, the, the prime time CNN has 345,000 viewers. Tucker was getting more than 10 times with CNN. He, he dwarfed anybody else on Fox. I mean, he was clearly the breadwinner. He was the anchor. And uh, and they, they they fired him. They were making some kind of, uh, you know, maybe, maybe he just pissed off Rupert by being, you know, it, uh, Fox News is, a, is important to us in this country, but to Rupert Murdoch's empire, it's just a drop in the bucket. So, you know, and he may... Who knows? It may have been pharma. It may have been uh, Rupert Murdoch's ego. I don't know what it was. Yeah, well, I wonder if a policy transformation that made it illegal for big pharma to market direct to consumer would go some distance to re rectifying this pharma problem. Yeah, I mean, well, that's right. And, and I looked into that. And, um, uh, you know, the change happened, Jordan, in 1997. And that's when um, FCC changed its rules. And... FDA approved, which was uh, the rule before that was that there could be no direct consumer advertising pharmaceutical products on, on TV or anywhere. When did that law um, change? And the only other nation in the world that allows that is New Zealand. And, you know, because we have that rule, it's one of the reasons that we use three times the number of pharmaceutical drugs as any other European country. We, the average American today is on four pharmaceutical drugs, and it has not helped public health. It is, you know, uh, pharmaceutical drugs are now the third largest killer of Americans after uh, cancer and, uh, and heart attacks. And our, our, we pay more for public health than any other country in the world. And I think so that means that, that that's the third leading cause of death is medical error. Is that is it third? I, I think it actually pharmaceutical drugs. I think it's pharmaceutical drugs. Yeah, and, and the source for that is the content collaboration. It's uh, um, yeah, it's the it's, it's a report by uh, by Peter Gosch, I think, of the uh, who is the founder of the Cochrane Collaboration, which is kind of the ultimate arbiter of. Uh, uh, you know, well, they're they're also the they're also the the company that that produced the uh, recent report talking about the completely ineffective in relationship to COVID transmission. Yeah, of course that's being debated now. Although I can't see how, because as you pointed out, the Cochrane reviews are people have accepted them as gold standard for conservative reviews, careful scientific reviews for years. Yeah, you know the the thing is that um, that Gates, Bill Gates, has played it huge role in trying to take over and they've got you know they're the, the big founders of Cochrane, thomas jefferson who is you know the, the, the leading clinical trial expert in europe and peter gosho who's the other co-founder have both been run out of Cochrane, and the uh, the gates foundation has been pumping, pumping tens of millions of dollars in so i don't know what's going to become of Cochrane now yeah. Well, the whole <laughs> like, like, people know, yeah, so that people know what we're losing is these were a group of very independent scientists who started looking at what was happening to the medical journals. 
The medical journals get most of their money from pharmaceutical companies that uh, for both advertising and preprints. Preprints are the, the they, you know, the, the pharmaceutical companies have these money studies that they, they, they use their financial cloud to get the Lancet, medicine, or JAMA, Journal of American Medical Association, to publish. And then they get a preprint, so they get, the, uh, they get the journal then to print out just that article, but with the cover of the journal in it, which gives it this imprimatur of total legitimacy. They print out two or three hundred thousand of them, and they pay a lot of money, millions of dollars for that run, that printing run from the Lancet, and then their pharmaceutical reps. You know, the former Playboy models who go around to each doctor's office, take the doctor out to lunch, go out to lunch and give one of these briefcases and say, look, the drug I'm doing, Lancet says it's a great thing. That's where the, the, uh, these journals make all their money. Well, so in, uh, I think it was the 80s, 70s, 80s, 90s, these groups of scientists got together who were independent scientists and said, what we're seeing now coming out of the journals, it's not real science, it's pharmaceutical propaganda. Even the journal editors like Marsha Engel can do in the journal medicine, Richard Horton, said you cannot believe anything in the journals anymore. We are vessels for pharmaceutical propaganda. They, they, it's corrupted. Scientists, they corrupted our science. We will now look over the journal articles and see whether it actually was good science or whether they're lying to us and, and critically read it, do us basically a second round of peer review that's real. And, um, and they, they put together this extraordinary organization of over 30,000 volunteer scientists, top scientists, independent scientists from around the world, who systematically review journal articles to see whether the science is real or fake and inform the public. And it's a, it was an absolutely critical organization. And, you know, Gates has gone in there and tried to undermine it. And uh, it's, it's very, very troubling. Do you ever read the fine print that appears when you start browsing in incognito mode? It says that your activity might still be visible. You know, it sounds kind of like Ben Shapiro. Provider. How can Sometimes. they even call it incognito? <laughs> to really stop Same people from seeing like the sites you visit, so. you need to do what we do and use ExpressVPN. Think about all no, the times you've used had Wi-Fi a at a coffee shop or a hotel. Without ExpressVPN, every a couple of questions. We talked here a little bit now about, let's say, the corruption of the legacy media on the news front by Big Pharma, and you just made reference to the same thing happening in the scientific domain. It's pretty awful to see journals like New England Journal of Medicine, Atlantic, and so forth, and science, for that matter, and you're seeing it with nature as well, degenerate into uh, organs that are no longer producing trustworthy science. That's a real catastrophe. You saw recently like yesterday, that DeSantis basically bypassed the legacy media, and Pierre Polyev did that in Canada when he ran for the leader of the Conservative Party, by the way, he just skipped over the legacy media entirely, and DeSantis announced his presidency on Twitter, and here you are also talking to me on YouTube, right, and so that's not exactly a standard political, that's not standard political practice, and so what do you think of why, why did you decide to talk to me today on my YouTube channel? And what do you think of DeSantis' use of Twitter? Has your campaign also been considering, for example, utilizing Twitter? Because obviously Musk has made that open to any candidate. How are you guys, uh, how are you guys...
conceptualizing your move forward on the presidency campaign front in relationship to non-traditional media? Well, you know, Jordan, I've been uh, censored in the, in the corporate media for 18 years. So since 2005, I've been actively censored, you know, not only just for vaccine articles, but for all of my articles. You know. um, and I was very, very active in those, on those media fronts for you know decades, but I've been uh, slowly censored now to complete wall-to-wall censorship. And particularly during the 13 years, the last three years, um, we've had to figure out ways to get around that censorship. And so, you know, we've done that by using non-traditional media. I was on Instagram. I had almost a million followers on Instagram at, at one point, but then in the pandemic, they deplatformed me. So I'm right, you're still banned. You're still banned on Instagram. Is that is that the case? Instagram and banned on TikTok. Um, you know, I, I'm interested to see what happens to you with YouTube. Uh, well, you know, they've left me alone. YouTube has left me alone. It's quite surprising because I've, I've said things many times that in principle should have got me in trouble on YouTube, but they haven't even put any strikes against my channel. They, they demonetized my daughter for a whole year for reasons we never did discover, but they've been completely hands off with me. You know, they, they've added those uh, warnings or clarifications now and then, especially when I talk to people like Bjorn Lomberg, and we'll get to that later. But I don't know what it is. YouTube is YouTube has been hands off. In answer to your question, when my uncle ran in 1960, uh, uh -huh. television was a was a new uh, phenomena, and he recognized the power of television and that that would have a, a play a key role in uh, in that presidential campaign for the first time in history. And you know he was able to exploit that and to win that election. Um, in the 2016 election, Twitter played a key role in getting Donald Trump elected. You know, absolutely critical. He probably would, if he didn't have that Twitter account, he probably would not have been elected. Who knows? But I would say there's a good chance he wouldn't. Today, Twitter is still important. And I, you know, I have now 1.2 million followers on Twitter. You know, I really didn't start actively doing Twitter until Elon um, freed it up. You know, because if I, you know, during the pandemic, I was mainly posting, you know, kitty cats and rainbows and unicorns. Because if I said anything that was, uh, that was, if I talked about what I was thinking about, it would have, I would have been deplatformed. But once Elon took over, I started, you know, they, they, they unshackled me. And I'm, but also, I think this is going to be this year. It's like going to be the political campaign uh, that will be decided on my podcast. And particularly because the candidates are not wanting to debate. So I not only not only is Biden not debating, but I think Trump may not debate. Um, and uh, um, yeah, so I think people like me are going to are going to, you know, we're going to really test whether the, these podcasts and you know, I was talking about uh, about Tucker oh, having 4.5 million nightly views. Well, the, the the podcast that Joe Rogan did with Peter McCulloch got 40 million views. So that right. Right. Yeah, well, Rogan's a force of nature. Yeah. So Tucker is 10 times what CNN is, you know, gets, and and 
but Rogan's audience ten times what Tucker was getting. So I think the I think the podcast has to be this election for reaching people and allowing you know sort of dissident and insurgent candidates like myself to end run the corporate media monolith and to reach large numbers of Americans without going to onto the networks. So I'm hoping that works. Now you asked about DeSantis. You know, I think, you know, I, I, you know, I felt bad for DeSantis, badly for DeSantis, because uh, of what happened on his, you know, Twitter announcement where it, <laughs> it went off, you it know, and I'm kind of rooting for Elon, so I don't, you know, I don't obviously want DeSantis to win, but I do, um, I liked how he handled COVID in Florida. There's other things that he's doing now that I don't like. But I do, you know, I, politics is hard for everybody, and, uh, you know, it would be... Uh, you like how DeSantis you know, handled? I, I think it's unfortunate that might be a deal breaker. speak to the American oh, people God. and doesn't get that chance because the, uh, you know, because the media, um, that whole vector is not, uh, for some reason, is not able to reach, reach them. I think he may have made a mistake in going on um, with... Elon, but I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. I think President Trump, Trump is uh, is uh, is portraying this antis as a tool of, of the Jeb Bush. That's kind of his, you know, strategy of for um, for characterizing uh, the Santas as a tool of Wall Street and the billionaire class and, you know, the Bushes, etc. And it may not have been, I, I think it probably would have been better for DeSantis if he is, I'm sure he thinks so now, if he had done a more traditional announcement where he would have gotten a lot of media coverage. Yeah, well, like you said, like you said, well, time will tell, like you said, because it is a new technology. And, like you said, and it, it like you said. extraordinarily powerful in the way you described it. I mean, Rogan's podcast is number one in 97 countries. He's clearly the most powerful journalist who's ever lived. And huh. so I think that big, I think the legacy media in the United States will die first. And I think legacy media will die everywhere. But I already think it's probably dead in the United States. It's a walking corpse. And turning to podcasts and non-traditional media seems to me to be entirely appropriate for people who are forward-looking. I said in Canada, Pierre Polyev, who now runs the Conservative Party and who's the most likely next prime minister, he ran his entire campaign for leadership on non-traditional media. And he was producing ads on his own that were generating, you know, 500,000 views. And people were voluntarily watching his ads, which was like a hundred times the view count he would have got on our state-funded media, 69% state-funded media, CBC. And so, you know, I think the tide has already turned and the U.S. is at the forefront of that. Now, here, I'm going to return to an earlier question I had. You've been on the receiving end of council culture. And one of the things I really have noticed is that, you know, I have colleagues and compatriots, friends across the political spectrum. And one of the things I really have noticed that differentiates the left from the right is that the left will engage in council culture behavior to a degree that is virtually unheard of on the right. Now, that may change, but at the moment that seems to be the case. Now, you've been on the receiving end of cancellation, as you said, for almost 20 years, and this begs the same question that I brought up earlier, is that why do you think under those conditions, given the treatment that you've received, that the, the left is salvageable? 
Or, or do you revert to the uh, idea, well, that's what we have question, to work actually. with, and you're going to do what you can to revitalize the Democrat Party? Because it isn't obvious to me that this cancel culture phenomenon has gone so far that it isn't obvious to me how it can be turned around. I don't think everybody on the left is, uh, you know, has co-signed counterculture. I think that's, uh, you know, it's a... It's a vocal. I would. I think it's probably a vocal minority. I don't know. You know, I have no reason. Yeah, I have no, I have no I reason to that. say that it's other than just minority. that's my feeling. Uh, but I, I, you know, I just, I don't think most people think that way. That you should. I mean, it's, you know, it, it, we're, we should be courageous enough. And and confident enough of our viewpoint that we can argue them and have them triumph in the marketplace of ideas, and the way that you deal with you know with viewpoints that you don't like or that you, you believe are inaccurate is not through censorship, but you know with with argument and more information and you know and facts and uh, and that's how we've always that it's a minority of radicals on the left side. I think the data supports that quite clearly. But, but okay, so let me tell you two stories and tell me what you think about this. So when the, the Democrats I worked with in the, in the U.S. and California, I had a conversation with them one day, very intelligent people, by the way, about Antifa. And they were on about QAnon and about right-wing radical groups. And uh, they regarded them as entirely real and entirely credible threats. And that was partly as a consequence of the January 6th uh, occurrences, let's say. And so I said, well, what do you guys think of Antifa? And they said, well, you know, they don't really exist. And I thought, well, that's interesting because you think the right-wing conspirators exist, but you don't think the left-wing. But, but like I said, they're smart people, so I investigated further. And they said, well, you know, it has no centralized organization. It's, it's not a formal group. It's a very small minority of people. This is, this is and, our fucking... Uh, you know, and don't like about Jordan Peterson. It's, it's extremely loosely structured, and it isn't representative of even the radical left much. It's a much word. Less He's stuck on the, the word. Democrats. And I thought, okay, that's interesting. So then I went and talked to Andy Noe, who's a journalist who's America covered Antifa anti in more detail than right, anyone baby? else in the world, and who knows yeah, their sure. organizational uh, structure and their routines inside and out, and who's put his life on the line to to cover this sort of 
uh, Antifa activity, and I asked him, how many Antifa cells do you think there are in the United States? And he said, well, there's probably about 20. And I said, well, how many full-time equivalent employees, so to speak, how many people do you think are in each cell that are dedicating themselves to the Antifa cause? And he said, well, maybe 40. And I said, oh, so that's 800 people. That's one in 400,000. And, well, that's almost none. And so you could take that data and you could make the case, you could make the case the Democrats made, which is, well, the Antifa doesn't even exist. It's one in 400,000, you know. In a city yeah, of a million, there would be two Peterson. Antifa members who were full-fledged, you know, Lost committed... It full-time advocate. Lots of plot there. You think, well, look at all the damage those people did. And then you think, well, maybe it only takes a trivial minority of people who are off the rails to cause a tremendous amount of damage. That's what happened when the Soviets took over the Russian, uh, Russian society in the aftermath of the monarchies after World War One. It was a tiny percentage of people. And this is what made me worried on the Democrat side. So this is why when I went to Washington, I pushed the Democrats that I talked to. He said, well, when do you think the left goes too far? And so let me ask you that question, like fairly bluntly. You're, you're trying to pull the Democrats to the center. You think it's a salvageable enterprise and you think it's necessary to salvage it. It's a two-party system. It's half the country. When do you think the left goes too far? And how would you, in, in your administration, draw a line between those who are reasonable and who show common sense and those who have like gone off the rail. Where is off the rail on the leftist side? Well, under what we circumstances? We don't go off the rail, numbnuts. Would I be called upon to make that determination? Well, that's okay, for the right wing fascists. Okay, so like when the Biden know, administration took office, Nazi Hitler. Um, one of the things I also discussed with the Democrats. Trump I knew was, Schittler, um, Happy Indictment Day, motherfucker. That were now vacant because of the transition in the presidency, how those positions would be filled and who would they be filled with? And one of the things I was told was that there was a dearth of available bodies on the Democrat side. And you know, it's hard to get people involved in politics. And so that many of the positions were filled by people whose views were quite radical in comparison to the centrist, into their say, mainstream centrist Democrat ideal. And so, and I, I see this as, like I would say Kamala Harris is a good example of that, because I think Kamala Harris is un in, inexcusably radical. She tweets out support for the notion of equity nonstop. And equity is not equality of opportunity. And so, I mean, I think you'll be called on to make those decisions, for example, when if you, if you did uh, establish a presidency, when you were trying to figure out who, who was going to make up the bulk of your administration, you know, and... I don't, I know Democrats, because they like the free flow of ideas, have a hard time drawing distinguishing lines. And so they have a hard time distinguishing the centrists from the radicals, but they have been captured in many ways by the radical viewpoint. And it's, it's no, very dangerous. Haven't. I mean, you've been subject to that to some no, degree on the censorship side. Oh, so I've baby. not seen the Democrats contend seriously with the problem of how to differentiate the mainstream centrists from from the dangerous radicals, and they seem to continue enabling them. I've seen that right now on the trans front. Because they're on you know, like When's the last time you heard and of Sweden and leftists and the like UK blowing shit have up. now banned gender transition surgery shooting for minors, up. and yet it's still being promoted assiduously, for example, shooting in California up. It doesn't happen, motherfucker. And I think that's criminal, personally. I think, yeah, I think well, it's whatever. inexcusable, and that's yeah. a good example of the capture of the Democrats by the, ra by the radicals in no, the like a, Yeah, hey. So, Canadian so it's, it's a conservative. Problem.
Now, Canadians, I, listen, I have Democrats, so many people well, right now who are to come to up as a Democrat, but are high, high quality people that um, fit fascists and views about <laughs> life and politics. I respect some of them are Republicans, some of them are independents, some of them are Democrats, and I don't uh, have any uh, anxiety about being able to fill all the key positions in my administration with people who have, um, you know, who I think have, have a common sense approach to life. Okay, so you think you have a talent pool at hand that 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 is broad enough so that you can find people who are qualified enough to occupy the centrist position appropriately and pull the Democrats back to, you know, something more approximating the ideals, let's say, well, of of the latter part of the 20th century as opposed to now. Okay, so so let me ask you another question then. There, there are these ideas on the left that are uh, troublesome, let's say. What do you think the central ideas on the left, what are the central ideas on the left that are troublesome in what? your estimation? <laughs> you know what, I, I, what I try I to focus on, Jordan, is the values that Americans hold in common rather than, you know, uh, getting uh, caught up in these issues that uh, that drive people apart. So that, you know, I I don't want to do finger pointing. If you, you know, if you ask me what I believe about certain issues, I'll tell you. Um, but I'm not, you know, I'm not looking to, you know, to finger point at people or to alienate people. Or I, I'm trying to you know, run a campaign that brings people together rather than a campaign that tries, yeah, you know, that you. is based upon, you know, that kind of tribalism of, you know, uh, of condemning people for, right. um, you know, for ideologies that I don't uh -huh. necessarily agree yeah. with. Is, is there relevance to something not taking I'm the doing? I'll, I'll take that into consideration. And, uh, but I don't spend a lot of time sort of, I, I don't know, to a degree that's almost incomprehensible. And I can understand your concern about, your concern for putting forward a positive vision rather than for drawing distinctions. But by the same token, you know, for example, in the universities, I've seen the diversity, equity, and inclusivity advocates take the enterprise over and destroy it. And there are some truly pathological ideas circulating in that realm of the ideological space. And, I don't, and I'm not saying I know the answer because I have some sympathy for your desire to put forward a positive vision, but by the same token, um, it does seem to me to be incumbent upon the Democrats to draw a line, and I do think that one of the lines that should be drawn is with relationship to the notion of equity, because equity is a very pathological idea, and wherever it's been implemented around the world in the past, it's caused, it's caused nothing but mayhem. Anyways, I won't push that any farther because, you know, I have yeah. some appreciation yeah. for your perspective. I do, I have another set of questions that I want to address. You mentioned at the beginning of our talk your concern that, um, your, your concern in relationship to the use of fear. And we could say on the vaccine front that 
the vaccine mandates were pushed forward, especially the lockdown mandates, they were pushed forward with the use of fear and that that was conscious policy. I know in Canada, for example, that even the conservative types who were just as bad on the lockdown front, they polled the public, they, they, they made the public afraid first, then they polled the public to find out what their fears were. Then they produced all sorts of lockdown regulations that that were advanced to improve their standing in the polls. Then they told their scientists to justify those with scientific hypotheses post hoc. And so I've been thinking about that. So here, here's the here's the conclusion. If there's a crisis that emerges, real or not, but let's say real, and your response to the crisis is that you become a fear-mongering tyrant then you're the wrong leader for the time. Is that no matter what the crisis is, you are not morally, it's not morally acceptable for you to use fear and compulsion to put your policy platform forward. And so I wanted to talk about that a bit on the climate front. I was actually concerned about talking to you today because I generally don't give my guests a rough time, but, um, <laughs> but we, I think, have a profound difference of opinion in relationship to the to climate issues. And so one of the things that I've, seen as I've traveled around the world is that the climate narrative, the apocalyptic climate narrative, we're destroying the planet and doom is nigh, has demoralized young people to a degree that's almost incomprehensible. I mean, you see it in the rising rates of depression and anxiety that characterize young women, and they're more susceptible to such things, but in men you see it as this widespread dropping out of educational institutions and marriage and sexual relationships and employment. I think it's 20%, something like that, 20% of work-age men in the United States now haven't had any employment whatsoever in the last year. And so, How many? and I see this particularly paramount in Europe, where the climate apocalypse narrative has not only demoralized people en masse, especially young people, what but it's you produced a plethora of policies, and Germany is a canonical example, that's that have people to put it mildly counterproductive. So Germany over. has energy now that's five times as expensive as it should be. It's unreliable. They're dependent on the Russians and other totalitarians on the fossil fuel front, and they pollute more than they did before they started this whole green enterprise. And so... I know that you're a long-term environmentalist and you're concerned on the climate front, but I've seen the climate apocalypse use fear to induce something approximating the same kind of level of tyranny, as far as I'm concerned, that characterized the vaccine lockdown. So, so help me sort that out, because you know you put forward a very interesting candidacy, and and one of the and one of the crucial crucial problems that we're facing at the moment is to sort out the environmental issues. Like I'm a big admirer of people like Lomberg, for example, Bjorn Lomberg, who's put forward a multi-dimensional view of the environmental concerns that confront us, not reduced it to carbon excess, and not put forward an apocalyptic nightmare as, a, as the most likely scenario. So help me sort that out and, and understand where you stand. Yeah, let me just uh, start by um with a with kind of a footnote, um, you know, the, well, I think he's usually depression and despair, uh, loneliness in kids, uh, and I don't think that there's a single cause to it. Um, and yeah. I think blaming it on you know depression of climate is probably over simplistic. In fact, I think a lot of the problems Erroneous. we see in kids, and particularly boys. Um, it, it's probably underappreciated um, that 
uh, how much of that is coming from chemical exposures, including a lot of the sexual dysphoria that we're seeing. They, you know, that these kids are being overwhelmed by a tsunami. I mean, they're swimming through a soup of toxic chemicals today, and many of those are endocrine disruptors. Um, there's atrazine throughout our water supply. Atrazine, by the way, if you in a lab put atrazine in in a in a, a, a tank full of frogs, it will chemically castrate and force forcibly uh, uh, feminize every frog in there. And 10% of the frogs, the male frogs, will uh, will turn into fully viable females, able to produce viable eggs and if you if if, if if it's doing that to frogs it could it, there's a lot of other evidence that it's doing it to human beings as well so, and you know i'm happy to talk about that later but i, I don't think blaming this uh, this epidemic of de- depression and despair on people who are you know fanning fears of climate um, are, is I think that's oversimplistic. Um, yeah. I, I think you're that's right. That's also erroneous. You put your you're too kind. Finger on, uh, first of all, let me just say this about climate. I believe that carbon uh, in the atmosphere and, and methane does increase warming. Why do I believe that? Uh, I believe it because it makes sense, one, and I believe uh, it because I read. Science? reports in the 1970 i you know on on issues like vaccines i read the science myself i read it critically i'm able to do that because i you know i i try cases on these issues and i've, I've been involved in probably about more 500 to six seven hundred cases and almost all of them uh, have some kind of scientific controversy and so i you know i wouldn't be good at my job if i couldn't read science critically and all of my cases involve intense critical reading of science and cross-examination of scientists and you have to have uh, pretty much complete domain knowledge um to be able to do that and if you're going to win cases so i i'm used to doing that and and i've read i would say at least the abstracts for, for every vaccine study. You know, I've, I did a compilation of all the vaccine science involving thimerosal, where I digested 450 studies, the leading studies. Uh, I have 1,400 references in that book. That book was an earlier book I did called Thimerosal with the Science Week. So I know if somebody asks me, I can tell you, you know, this effect is likely being produced. I cannot do that with climate science. Remember, remember fucking of, experts? Uh, studies, most of them say yes. You know, virtually all of them say yes. Not all of them, but virtually all of them say that um, carbon uh, is uh, contributing to warming. If you ask me, is if, if your position is the warming's not happening, then uh, I, uh, that's like somebody saying the autism epidemic is not happening. I can look around. You can see it everywhere. Oh. I see the over 69 years. I've seen the changes, and I've seen the you know the mass migration of of animals, of southern animals like black vultures and stuff. That you know the the the, the northern uh, increase in their ranges. I've seen the way that the 
I've kept track since I was a kid about when the leaves turn. So, you know, and it, and it steadily moved up each year. Um, and, uh, and so I see that all of my senses are telling me that, you know, the, the warming is occurring. Now, why is the warming occurring? There, you know, people, there's people out there who say the warming's not occurring. There's other people who say, yeah, the warming's occurring, uh, but it's not, um, it's not from carbon, trapping carbon. And what I, I my opinion, you know, is basically, as I said, it's based on common sense, but also I read the, the science, the, the, the memos that I have read um, from the 1970s from Exxon scientists to Exxon management. Exxon during that time had what it bragged were the best scientists in the world who knew more about the fate of the carbon molecule in the atmosphere, in the environment, in, you know, in every circumstance than any other scientist. And in the 70s, they were telling their management at Exxon, if we keep burning oil at this rate, we're going to warm the globe. It's, it's, uh, it's high school math to them. And they said, and it will be a good thing for the company. It will be a bad thing for humanity and for the wildlife and the planet. But it will be a good thing for the company because we're going to melt the Arctic. And there's a lot of oil under the Arctic, and we should be getting ready to exploit it because it is going to be melted if we continue doing this. So, you know, my feeling is if those were the top scientists in the world, they had no interest in lying about it. And this is what they were, you know, saying. So I think it's probably more uh, likely to be true than false. Now, I also okay, so agree. I also, I want to say this, because... Uh, and you asked me to interrupt you at the beginning. Yes, so, yes, so, let's do. Yep. So, um, I want to respond to what you said. I agree 100% with you that this crisis is being used as a pretext for clamping down totalitarian controls the same way that the COVID crisis was. And it's the same people. It's intelligence agencies. It's, uh, it's the, you know, it's the World Economic Forum. It's the Billionaire's Voice Club at Davos. Um, and it's the same kind of cabal of um, people who are used, who will use every crisis to uh, to stratify society toward, you know, greater power for the super rich and uh, greater power for the military, greater power for the intelligence apparatus, and less power for everybody else. And uh, so, you know, my approach to this, Jordan, is that. I have a personal belief that um, that cl the climate crisis is real. I do not insist that anybody else share my belief, and I um, I feel like um, Lundgren is correct in saying that it you know the climate orthodoxy gets it wrong. That the carbon orthodoxy, the people who ascribe to that, get it wrong. There are actually a lot more important things than carbon. That is, you know, than, than carbon sequestration and geoengineering. Geo there, there's habitat preservation, the most important thing we can do. We've forgotten completely about that because of the obsession with reducing carbon. Uh, there's uh, regenerative yeah. agriculture, which is absolutely critical, including for carbon sequestration, but also that we have good foods, that we preserve oil, the soil, and all of these other impacts from a warming climate which are you know the the shrinkage of lakes and agriculture and the destruction of the soils and ecosystems we need to do those things 
um, and uh, the preservation of fisheries and all of these, which are all tied into climate and the preservation of the whales, for example, you know, which in subtle ways also, uh, you know, uh, yeah, totally very, agree. very certain but almost unmeasurable ways are part of the overall attack ecology. on the living planet, which is yeah. really the way that attack we need on to ecology. look at this. And if there's not just a war on carbon is not going to solve the problem if we don't have a habitat left at the end. So when I talk about these issues, I rarely talk about climate. Um, I think we need to get rid of coal and oil, but I don't say we need to do that to save the climate because it's not convincing. And even if you say, oh, tens of thousands of scientists agree with me, people today have a good reason to not believe scientific orthodoxies or pronouncements, right? They, we went through that in COVID where we were told all of the science, you know, the established science and said this is all real. And there's a lot of people who are saying, yeah, but it wasn't real and it isn't real. And showing somebody a graph and saying this is what's going to happen to you if you don't behave is not a good way to, to get good behavior, right? And it's going to happen to you in a long way. But the thing is that both Republicans and Democrats, I found in 40 years, love the environment. They want to keep sacred places. They want to have healthy food. They don't want toxics for their children. They don't want to see uh, 22 story machines cutting down the Appalachian Mountains and, you know, the 500 biggest peaks have been cut. 500 biggest Appalachians the size of Delaware has been leveled. These are our Purple Mountains, Majesty, where Daniel Boone and Davy Crockett roamed. And, you know, we're, we're, we're industrializing these landscapes so nothing will ever grow on them again. 2,200 miles of rivers has been filled. We have poisoned every freshwater fish in North America from discharges of mercury from coal-burning power plants. Nobody wants that. The high peaks of the Appalachians, the forest cover is gone from Georgia to northern Quebec because of acid rain. All of those high-altitude lakes are now sterile. Nobody oh wants God. that. And, uh, so, and, so how do you, how do you and, think we have an... In Okay, so let me make a couple of things clear on my side, and then I'll... I'll have and by the way, my approach to climate, and my approach to reducing uh, the energy, let's say my approach to energy, is using free markets and have not top-down control. So what I would do is I would end subsidies, and then I would let marketplace determine, and what's going to happen is renewable energy is going to triumph, because... You can build a solar plant for $1 billion a gigawatt today. A wind plant costs about $1.2 billion. A coal plant costs $3.6 billion. Uh, and a dual-cycle uh, dual gas turbines cost probably a couple billion a gigawatt. But once you build a wind or solar, it's free energy forever. So it's always going to be cheaper. The problem with renewable energies like that is we do not have a transportation system to get them to market. So we need a marketplace. We need a grid system that can allow every uh, individual in our country to become an energy entrepreneur, produce rooftop solar, sell it back to the uh, to the grid at the same price that the utilities are getting, have every farmer in North Dakota be able to put wind turbines on their cornfields. They all want to do it. A cornfield in North Dakota is worth $800. A cornfield with a wind turbine on it is worth $3,200. Every farmer in North Dakota wants to put a wind turbine on their property. The problem is they cannot get those electrons to the markets in Cleveland, Cincinnati, St. Louis, New York, because we do not have an efficient grid system. And we need to build that the same as Eisenhower did 
with the highway system when I was a kid. We need to build a grid system that will uh, that will create a marketplace. And uh, and once we have that marketplace, we'll have free energy forever. It's just like when we built the ARPANET grid, you know, for information, the cost of information went to zero. We built the telecom grid, the cost of phone calls went to zero. When we build an energy grid, the cost of electrons will go to zero. And that will be a huge economic boom for our country. And nobody's going to be using oil and coal anymore. Yeah. Okay, so you you agreed that there there is a danger on the environment apocalypse front that the, the same old criminals, let's say, will utilize that potential crisis for or tyrannical ends. And so let's leave that aside. That's something we agree on. I should point out that no, I'm, and as Lomberg does, I accept the IPCC uh, projections that there'll be some temperature increase over the next hundred years, and that some proportion of that is a consequence of man-made activity. Now, Lomberg has produced um, economic projections based on current rates of GDP growth, showing that I'm not going to get the figures exactly right, but this is close to right, that in 100 years from now, we'll be about 400% richer than we are now. But with the negative consequences of climate transformation, we'll be 350% richer. And that's not nothing. There's some actual decrement in potential future value as a consequence of that. But it's within the range that we can, that we can actually intelligently manage. And he's also documented quite well the host of environmental concerns that confront us, in a, in a manner that's very similar to what you just did. It's like we don't have one problem on the environmental front. We have many problems. We should deal with them intelligently. How do you think that it's possible to have a discussion about the environmental challenges that confront us without opening the door to the people who are going to use fear to introduce tyranny? And, and is this associated with, in some manner, with your notion of a positive vision? Like how, because what is happening, and I see this happen in Europe, it's crystal clear, and this is especially the case in Germany, although it's also true in the UK, is that like these more tyrannical policies on the energy front, they're not looming, they're already in place. And they're really hurting poor people, like really badly, and destabilizing the entire power grid and deindustrializing Germany, which is also like part of the plan for some people. Like how can we confront the environmental issues that do in fact loom in front of us without inviting in that top-down tyrannical control. Well, uh, I mean, I think that's what I'm trying to do with my candidacy, is to, is to you know, reboot some of this so that, um, you know, that we can find a common ground, that people can understand that you can love the environment. I mean, you know, the reason that I became an environmentalist, okay, Jordan, was not because I was scared of something. You know, I was scared of the end of the world. It was because I was in love with the creeks and the, you know, and climbing the, um, the trees to get a baby crow when I was a kid and training hawks and doing whitewater kayaking and, wow. you know, the little streams and creeks around my, you know, my home where I could go and turn over rocks and find mud puppies and salamanders <laughs> and crayfish and collect them and bring them home or like seeing the... You know, the tadpoles bubbling in these little mud puddles that became cauldrons in the early spring, stuff my kids will never see. The, the explosion of color from the butterflies when I walked into the garden that my kids will never see, you know, uh, because those, you know, they're gone now. And, um, 
and well, that's why I fell in love with the environment. And that, and that, it was out of love. It was not out of fear. And I think we have to bring people back to that place yes. of love and say, you know, yes. what kind of world do we want to live in? You know, is it a live? Is it a world where you can hear the the songbirds and the, where there's amphibians out on the road, but you can still see box turtles? Or is it, uh, you know, are we either side is trying to make us fearful and, and fear is not a good, you never get a good response from fear. You never get, you know, um, so I think we have to appeal to people through that love, through that kind of appeal. And that, you know, my whole career has been doing that. I've, I, I had a chance when I was, when I, you know, in 1983, when I, uh, switched careers and became a full-time, you know, I've always been an environmentalist, but when I came, became a full-time environmental attorney and advocate, I was given a choice of going to Washington and working for an inside the Beltway, you know, uh, at a high level, uh, doing lobbying, doing, you know, fundraising, and doing maybe land conservation on a grand scale. And I didn't want to do that. I wanted to work with, you know, communities that were living in the environment and that were, had been marginalized by environmentalists. My first case as an environmental lawyer was for the NAACP blocking a, uh, a, a a waste transfer station that had been sited in the in the oldest black neighborhood in the Hudson Valley because they didn't have the political power. And I saw that then, and I saw that, you know, four out of every five toxic waste dumps in America was in a black neighborhood. The highest, the largest toxic waste dump in America is in Neal, Alabama, which is 85% black, the highest concentration of toxic waste dumps in North America is the south side of Chicago. The most contaminated zip code in California is East LA. It was all Hispanic neighborhoods, black neighborhoods, where these obnoxious and dangerous toxic facilities were being cited. Yeah. And then I went to work for, you know, what was my passion for most of my life, which was for fishermen on the Hudson River, commercial fishermen and recreational fishermen. Most of these people were Republicans. They're people who were environmentalists, as as radical as you can get, but they didn't call themselves that because they felt estranged from the mainstream environmental community. But they were people whose livelihoods, who, you know, depended on a clean environment, whose, you know, they love the fisheries, their property values, their recreation. These are people who were never going to see Yosemite or Yellowstone National Park, but then the environment was their background yard. It was the bathing beaches, the swimming holes, the fishing holes, the Hudson River that was there. You know, it was Richie Garrett, who was the founder of the Hudson River Fishermen's Association, which I, you know, joined and later turned into Riverkeeper. He used to say about the Hudson, it's our Riviera, it's our Monte Carlo. He was a combat veteran from Korea and he was a full-time grave digger. Now he was, these were, these were people who, um, you know, who were uh, the salt of the earth and they should have been environmentalists, but they felt estranged from the environmental community. And I spent my livelihood with the hook and bullet people, you know, uh, bringing them into the environmental movement. And, and they came in because of love, not because of fear. Right. So you're willing, you're willing to, you're willing to avo avoid or would like to avoid using 
using fear as a motivating factor when you're making your case for environmental concerns. Okay, well, that, you know, that seems to be a good answer on the motivational front. The reason that FDR said the only thing that we have to fear is fear itself, and he said that, you know, it wasn't during World War II, it was in 1932, and he said that because the Depression had uh, landed, you know, in the United States and Europe, and he he saw we we had you know we had left wing uh, leaders, demagogues like Huey Long, that a third of the country wanted to turn you know essentially socialist or communist. We had a right wing uh, like uh, like Father Charles Coughlin who wanted to bring the the the, the uh, nation fascists. The people had lost faith in democracy. It was uh, one out of every four Americans was unemployed. 2,200 banks had closed. It, you know, it was crashing, and everybody was convinced that, that democracy and capitalism had failed. We had to look for a new system. Um, in Europe, Roosevelt saw the same depression. The reaction in Germany and Spain and and uh, and, and Italy was that right wing tyrants were using fear to the engineering shift to the far right, fascism, and, and, and the Soviet Union in Eastern Europe, left wing communism, were the same thing, but the shift of population towards communism. And that's why he said the American people, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Is we, will, we can write this, we can change it, we can recover what we had, but we just have to stay out of fear because that is the weapon of tyrants. Okay, so the, okay, we're, we're going to run out of time on this side. There's two other questions I'd, I'd like to pose. We don't have a lot of time for them, and I'll, I'll put both questions forward. The, the first would be, why should Democrats prefer you to Biden? And the second question is, what are your opinions on the Russia-Ukraine situation? So let's start with, if you Good don't mind, questions. let's start with the Biden situation. Why should Democrats, they have an incumbent president, and why should Democrats prefer you to Biden? Well, I mean, philosophically, we're just, uh, we're at other, you know, opposite ends of the party. Uh, president Biden believes in, you know, the Ukraine war, which I think is a, a, a you know, I think it's a huge, huge, what we're doing in the Ukraine now is a, just a massive assault on, on Ukrainians. Um, and that, you know, it's a, it's a, it, 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 we have trapped Ukraine in a, um, in, a, in a proxy war against the Soviets, and they are being devoured by the geopolitical machinations of neocons in the White House, who, um, who, uh, you know, I have this comic book depiction that, you know, a lot of Americans have swallowed about, you know, what is happening in the war, but what's really... And let me just say something about the war. I think Americans supported that war for all the right reasons, because, you know, Abraham Lincoln said, we're, we are a great nation because we're a good nation. I think Americans are good people. They have compassion towards Ukrainian people, the illegal invasion of, you know, an illegal invasion by, you know, a man who is a, a homicidal tyrant. Just um, like Trump. And, uh, and, they saw Trump. That, and they had, you know, tremendous admiration for the valor and the courage of the, of the Ukrainian people. My son, Connor, 26 years old, left law school without telling us and went to the Ukraine and joined the Foreign Legion and uh, fought in a... Uh, in a special forces group uh, during the, as a machine gunner during the Kharkiv offensive. 
And he was motivated by that goodness that so many Americans have. Uh, but we were told that this was a humanitarian mission. And yet every step that we have taken, every decision we have been made has been, appears to have been intended oh. to prolong the war. Yeah. And to increase Fucking the bloodshed. military and industrial complex. has, you know, recently confessed that our purpose is to depose Vladimir Putin, which is the two-decade aspiration of oh, the neocons to right. surround him. They've been yeah. saying that for decades. They've also been saying, it's a big group, Brzezinski, who is their, you know, their doyen and philosopher, said that our, our the U.S. strategy should be to suck Russia. Hi there, welcome back. Great news. He's going to be indicted as early as tomorrow. Trump terrified of Jack Smith in new video as indictments loom. You know, really, Donald Trump. His family is a Trump hater. They all hate Trump. They hate him with a passion. They'll do anything they can to hurt Trump. But he's a harasser and an abuser of our people in order to obstruct and interfere with the 2020 presidential Thank election. You, That's why Smith they're doing it. The Lawyers trash. for Donald Trump met with top U.S. Hero. Justice Department officials to complain about perceived misconduct in the criminal investigation into the disgraced former president's handling of national security materials and obstruction. The meeting involved Trump lawyers Jim Trusty, John Rowley and Lindsay Halligan, speaking with the special counsel Jack Smith himself, who is leading the investigation and a senior career official to the deputy attorney general. Now, this is very interesting, isn't it? This is very typical of Donald Trump just refusing to accept that he's broken the law thinking he's above the law, and sending his lawyers in to just beg not to prosecute. A couple of days ago, Donald Trump posted on Truth Social, how can DOJ possibly charge me? Who did nothing wrong when no other presidents were charged, when Joe Biden won't be charged for anything, including the fact that he has 1,850 boxes, much of it classified, and some dating back to his Senate day, when even Democrat senators are shocked. Also, President Clinton had documents and one in court. Crooked Hillary deleted 33,000 emails, many classified, and wasn't even close to being charged. Only Trump, the greatest witch hunt of all time. Man. I mean, look, this is a former president of the United States writing in all caps and just crying like a baby Me and too. just not acknowledging or accepting the Me. fact that he is now a civilian with everybody else. He is not the president anymore, despite yeah. his claims of election fraud, lives. which have all been thrown out of court and have no value whatsoever. And isn't this an example of what happens when you elect somebody who is completely unsuitable for the office of president? I mean, That's he would have been unsuitable for the role of mayor or rightly. of governor. You know, really, Donald Trump should... Here's my new, here's my new video. <laughs> Fuck. Donald jackass Trump and the horse he rode on, rode in on. Okay, gonna. Jack Smith. 
Yeah. He's a Trump hater. So His wife's I. a Trump hater. So His family is a Three Trump quarters hater. of the country. Trump. They hate him with a passion. There's a lot do anything of they reason can to hate to Trump. Trump. Yeah. But he's Turn a him. harasser and an abuser. Yes, you are a harasser and abuser. In order to obstruct and interfere with the 2020 like presidential did. election. That's what. Yeah, like you did. It's called projection. Hope you rot in jail. Peter. Jack. Yeah. Peter. Jack Smith. Chuck getting yeah, indicted tomorrow. Indictment so so today, tomorrow. Happy indictment day, MFR. Hope you figure out that diaper thing in prison. Ha ha ha. Follow for 24-7 indictment watch updates. <laughs> Good. Mardis touch. Good night, Doctor. It's not letting me tag anybody. Splish splash, I was taking a bath. How about Comedy Central? Oh, there we go. Okay, good enough. Modest touch. Okay. Good enough. Good enough for government work. Okie doke. Be kept as far from public office as possible. And the reason I say that is because he is mentally ill. He is emotionally unstable. He has been diagnosed by professionals as having malignant narcissism. He does not think that he has done anything wrong because he thinks that he is superior to everybody else. He thinks he's smarter, he has a better intellect, he knows more about, I mean, he's done it himself. He admits that he knows more about NASA, he knows more about, about nuclear weapons, he knows more about international trade. The reality is he doesn't know anything about anything. I mean, he can, he can barely build a wall, let's be honest, which uh, turns out wasn't really built at all. And this is the reality, that to have a former President of the United States be critical of the Justice Department undermines the Justice Department for all other cases and all other crimes. And it makes someone like Donald Trump, it exposes them as being wholly not just unsuitable for office, but unsuitable to live in a civilized society because he will not stop at posting on Truth Social. He will encourage an uprising. He will encourage violence. He enjoyed January 6th and he will enjoy seeing people hurt and violence on the streets when and or if and when he is indicted, arraigned, prosecuted and incarcerated.
Breathe some life into your own backyard with fastgrowingtrees.com this spring. From shade to fresh fruit to privacy and natural beauty, let fastgrowingtrees.com help you plant your dream garden with their expert advice. Alberta peach tree I was looking for at a great price and you will from actually falling foul of the Justice Department is him kind of lying through his his veneers and just saying it's a witch hunt nothing to do with me it wasn't me I wasn't I wasn't there I mean it's unfathomable to me that this is happening that this man talks like this in this way it's unfathomable and yet for some reason the media just repeat what he says like it's legitimate I mean, his his grammar, the way he the way he writes, the this self obsession and talking in the third person, all of it, it's nuts. And yet, for some reason, it has been normalized here in the United States and anywhere else in any other civilized society. They'd be like, this guy is nuts. We should support him, look after him, but he deserves really to have care in a in a secure unit not roaming around the United States as he currently is, mouthing off. Because what it does is it incites further kind of political unrest in other countries. And this kind of knock-on effect, you've seen it all around the world, in Brazil and now in Poland, that think that if it's good enough for the President of the United States to use this language to be xenophobic, to be racist, to be critical of the Justice Department and the, the pillars uh, of you know American democracy, then it's okay for them to kind of break it all down as well. We're leading by a lot in the polls. If I weren't, I believe it would all stop. Or if I weren't running, I believe it would all stop immediately. But that's not going to happen. The public will not stand for this unequal treatment. Uh Joe Biden is guilty. I am not at all. So we hope that Donald Trump is dealt with appropriately for his multiple crimes. But at the same time, we hope that, you know, the planet survives because the knock on effect of of an autocrat or a dictator or a a wannabe dictator in the case of Donald Trump is seismic and it lasts for decades. It is not just a kind of temporary thing. Trumpism will last indefinitely until there is some significant shift because his supporters People believe what he says, and they don't have that kind of common sense radar that you and I have, where we recognize that we're dealing with a madman who has been legitimized and normalized by the media and by society. I'm Anthony Davis. You can hear me every day on the 5-Minute News podcast, on Wednesdays on MAGA Uncovered here on the Midas Media Network, and on Sundays on The Weekend Show with Republican law, law backfires if they're caught on tape. Hey everybody, it's Troy. Hey, listen, the anti-immigration bill is about yeah. to take effect in Florida. This is Ron DeSantis' fascist anti-immigrant uh, policy coming to fruition in that state. It's called Senate Bill 1718. It takes effect on July 1st. Some of the horrifying things that it does, it limits social services for undocumented immigrants, allocates millions more tax dollars to expand the DeSantis kidnapping uh, human trafficking scheme that he calls the Migrant Relocation Program. 
just uh, absolutely horrific, just kidnapping families. Should be fucking removed from office for this shit. Point. It invalidates driver's license issue, driver's licenses issued to undocumented people by other states, and it requires hospitals that get Medicaid dollars oh to ask for a patient's immigration status before treating them. But that's not even the worst part about this bill. It also addresses trafficking of immigrants, by which they mean simply driving an undocumented immigrant somewhere. Trafficking of immigrants comes with a penalty of up to Legal, mind you, asylum seekers kidnap them and dump them in front of the Vice President Kamala Harris's residence in Washington, D.C. in the middle of the night in midwinter. So, fuck off, you fascists. And uh, you should be removed for his unconstitutional conduct. That's what I've been calling for. And um, thank you, everybody. Thank the Bexar Sheriff's Department in Texas, I believe, mm-hmm. uh, who is, uh, they are charging DeSantis? No, two states. I believe Florida and Texas are uh, charging. Bexar uh, Sheriff's Department is one of them. So thank them on social media. Five years in prison. Felony arrest and five years in prison for driving uh, yeah, an undocumented well, immigrant, and it's five years in prison, in prison per immigrant. Guantanamo, every, so just, everybody tell everybody you know that DeSantis authorized fucking torture at Guantanamo. I shit you not. Well, he was a JAG lawyer. An absolutely fascist, draconian, anti-immigrant law. It's reminiscent of Prop 187 that they passed in California in the 90s, which was later struck down by a judge as unconstitutional. And already, Florida is starting to see a lot of the backlash from this. Undocumented people are fleeing the state of Florida, particularly about the fear of the five-year prison sentence. Uh, Undocumented people are fleeing Florida, and as a result... Jobs that are typically performed by immigrants, and especially by undocumented immigrants, uh, who come to this country looking for work Mm. so that they can send money back to Mexico or wherever they're from, those jobs are no longer getting done. And it's starting to scare the hell out of the people who actually employ those undocumented immigrants. And a lot of them are Republicans. The hypocrisy in Florida is absolutely rank as these people sign on to this fascist anti-immigrant DeSantis bill, but then have private little meetings where they admit that this is a horrifying situation for Florida farmers and Florida business people that rely on undocumented immigrants for labor. Here's one example of that. This is undercover footage of a meeting being hosted by several Republican Florida state representatives where they basically are trying to convince undocumented immigrants to stay.
for his immediate removal from office and prosecution for human trafficking. That's 49 legal asylum seekers and dumping them in front of the vice president's residence in the middle of winter, in the middle of the night. Fuck these fascists. Despite the fierce draconian nature of this anti-immigration law, they're telling undocumented immigrants that the law is just designed to scare them and it has no teeth and they should just stay and continue to be exploited by their bosses who at the same time are raging against illegal immigration. Check this out. Is 100% supposed to scare you? La mala noticia es que este este proyecto de ley 100% tiene el propósito de darles miedo. Yo soy un agricultor y los agricultores están bien bravos. We are losing employees. They're already starting to move to Georgia and other states. It's urgent that you talk to all your people and, and convince them you have resources, state representatives, and other people that can explain the bill to you. We have the best, we had the best president in my, in my life for the last 30 years, and I'm still supporting Donald Trump. I love my governor, he's the greatest governor, he's the greatest governor. But uh, I agree with everything that uh, Representative Roth said. This is a bill basically to scare people from coming to the state of Florida, and I think that uh, it's, it's done its purpose. This bill really doesn't have any teeth. And even though we're immigrants, I was born in Cuba and I came when I was two years old. We need to have immigration that is legal. We need to have legal immigration. And the federal government has completely left us, you know, um, they haven't done their job. Once again, just rake hypocrisy from MAGA Republicans in the state of Florida who rail against the scourge of illegal immigration, the invasion of illegals coming across our southern border that Joe Biden has an open border policy and just lets everybody into this country to take American jobs. Well, as you can see from this footage, a lot of work isn't getting done in Florida, and they have a good reason to be afraid. Hello, everyone. This is an update. Today is Tuesday, May the 16th. It's not Sunday. There is my truck with grass, and this is a construction site here in Davenport, Florida, June. 20 miles from Orlando. And this is all you see. It's 9 a.m. Usually at this time, there's a lot of people here working, all kind of contractors doing their job. Roofers, of mm. course, a lot of noise and loud Mexican music. This is what you hear today. So it is happening. It is not fake. It's not a joke. You see one contractor there. In Central Florida, today is Monday, Memorial Day. This is what I see here. Lots of watermelon thrown away right here from the field. Wow. I am not sure if this is related to the immigration bill passed by the governor of Florida. If this is because there's not enough people to work and to process all this, I see some of them have stickers. I know it's happening with the tomatoes too and some chilies, but 
I ask you, please, if you hear or see any member of Congress trying to pass a bill that gives undocumented people a permit to work and a permit to travel, that's all we ask. Please support it. It does not matter what party it is. All we want is to be able to see our family, go to their home, and come back and keep working. We are not asking for amnesty. That means citizenship. We are not asking for amnesty. But isn't this just a great opportunity for MAGA Republicans to make their point? The undocumented workers are leaving the state in droves. There's tons of now newly available jobs for American citizens to take, right? That's always their complaint. Yeah, go to a Democratic state. American jobs. Well, it turns out Americans really, really, really don't want to do this work that's usually done by immigrants. And it turns out Americans are actually, when they do do this work, are actually really bad at it. Moreover, the farmers insist most Americans just can't or won't do farm work. When Smith's immigrants fled, he hired locals to help harvest his sweet potatoes. I probably had three or four out of 50 that is really worth anything as far as being a good worker. It's just a lot of it is, is they're not skilled and they don't know how to do what we're doing and they, they ain't durable enough. They are yeah. durable. They ain't durable <laughs> enough because they're not used to doing that kind of stuff. You know, they come out one, two, three hours and whew, I've had it. I can't take this anymore. Come the fall, some 40 workers usually pick Smith's sweet potatoes. He's down to 15, many of whom live nearby. This was Melinda Martinez's fourth day on the job. And I had to quote, go home yesterday. I couldn't even It's that breaking. Martinez couldn't keep pace. At 40 cents per bucket, she made $30 for the day, compared to 75 and up for a practice picker. Farmers. I mean, it ain't really worth the gas I'm spending to get here. Edgar Hernandez is a husband and father who sends all his money home to his family. I ask him why he doesn't think there are any Americans harvesting with him. Es pesado. It's heavy, he says. The work is hard. These farm owners don't disagree with that assessment. Americans have other choices and just don't want to do this, they say. I would say this work yeah. on a scale of one lazy. to ten would be out of a, a nine. Lazy as I shit. mean, it's about as hard as it gets. There are about 18,000 pounds of watermelon on each of these buckets. In addition well, it's like to all that packets, watermelon. It's extremely monotonous. Both these men describe themselves as politically conservative. However, they say this government program is not only a necessity, but should have an application process that is faster and more flexible. Yes, we don't need to open the borders and let everyone across. But these guys are coming here for a reason. They're coming here for serious work to try to support their families in Mexico or wherever they come from. Do conservative Republican farmers, watermelon farmers in the state of Florida who want everyone to know that they're anti-immigration. They want uh -huh. closed borders. They don't want undocumented people coming across the border to get jobs in the United States. But Except their guys are okay. They're undocumented immigrants that they employ. Those guys are fine because they're making them. They're making them rich. Cheap labor. Just absolute, absolute hypocrisy on behalf Slave labor. of Republicans in the state of Florida. Yeah. Immigrants, undocumented people fleeing the state, fleeing to Georgia and other states bringing Florida to a standstill in terms of construction jobs, farming, work typically done by undocumented people, bringing Florida to a standstill, potentially resulting in the loss of billions of dollars to the Florida economy as Florida yeah. prepares to roll out this 
absolutely sickening anti-immigration law on July 1st. Might as touch this is Troy. Remember, smash that subscribe button Florida's to keep supporting tank. independent media. We've got pride it's to you. Be run We're celebrating five months with fall. a brand new collection of tanks, V-necks, and more. Go to store. You can thank Ron DeSantis. Fuckers. Targa, what Miami Spot Inviter. Touchdown across, okay, good enough. China shop. What the hell is that? Okay, so. Hmm. There you go. Breaking DOJ prepared to indict Trump as Meadows. Yeah, Meadows is, um, oh, here we go. Wait, four hours ago. DOJ top espionage prosecutor becomes Trump's worst nightmare. I'm Ben Micellis from the Midas Touch Network, a leader of one of Donald Trump's political action groups who used to be the spokesperson for another one of Donald Trump's political action groups testified before the criminal grand jury now impaneled in the Southern District of Florida, the federal courthouse in Miami, in connection with special counsel Jack Smith's ongoing criminal investigation into Donald Trump's theft of government records and obstruction of justice. And of note, 
the individual who did the questioning of this individual, Tyler Budowich, the Donald Trump uh, political action committee leader. The individual questioning him was none other than Jay Bratt. Now, Jay Bratt is the top counterintelligence official at the Department of Justice. You may remember the name Jay Bratt as well as he was the individual who met with Donald Trump's lawyers at Mar-a-Lago on June 3rd of 2022 when Donald Trump's lawyers presented Jay Bratt with an attestation under penalty of perjury that they conducted a diligent search of Mar-a-Lago and did yeah. not identify any Super additional diligent. classified records other than the 38 classified records they turned over to Jay Bratt at that meeting. Of course, we know that attestation to be completely false. Okay, the Department okay. of Justice executed a search warrant on Mar-a-Lago in August of 2022 and found thousands of other government records and over 100 classified records and many folders with classified markings that were indeed empty. This uh, uh, presentation of Taylor Budowich, uh, the questioning of Taylor Budowich before the grand jury in Florida took about one hour in length. And one of the areas that it focused on was a statement that Donald Trump released when Budowich was the spokesperson uh, after Donald Trump returned 15 boxes of records back in January of 2022. You'll just recall the timeline was Donald Trump stole declassified records and other uh, records uh, from the White House in January of 2021 after he was defeated in the election. The National Archives reach out to him in May of 2021. Donald Trump lies and lies and lies. He's caught lying. And then he says in January of 2022, hey, I've got these 15 boxes. This is all I have. I'm going to return it to you, DOJ. Donald Trump turned over uh, a number of newspaper clippings and magazines, but interspersed within those magazines and newspaper clippings was sensitive compartmented information, classified records, and other top secret records. And the National Archives then referred this matter after Donald Trump returned those 15 boxes to the Department of Justice, which then picked up the investigation thereafter. But you see, Donald Trump issued a statement on or around February 18th, 2022, about the boxes that were returned to the National Archives. This is what Donald Trump states. And by the way, this uh, statement by Donald Trump, again, would have been released through Taylor Budowich, Donald Trump's spokesperson at the time. That's why Taylor Budowich is being questioned by the top counterintelligence official at the Department of Justice, among other reasons. There is also to, there's also believed to be drafts of this statement as well, that Donald Trump had prepared, also stating that he had turned over all classified records and all uh, records and all government records and that he didn't have anything at all. The Department of Justice, we have learned, has their hands on the drafts that Donald Trump prepared with Budowich. But let me read you this statement that was released by Donald Trump, but through Budowich, uh, his spokesperson. It says the following. 
the National Archives did not, quote, find anything they were given upon request, presidential records in an ordinary and routine process to ensure the preservation of my legacy and in accordance with the Presidential Records Act. If this was anyone but Trump, there would be no story here. Instead, the Democrats are in search of their next scam. The Russia, Russia, Russia hoax turned out to be a Democrat-inspired fake story to help crooked Hillary Clinton, impeachment hoax number one, impeachment hoax number two, and so much more has all been a hoax. The fake news is making it seem like me, as the President of the United States, was working in a filing room. No, I was busy destroying ISIS, building the great economy America had ever seen, the greatest economy America had ever seen, brokering peace deals, making sure Russia didn't attack Ukraine, making sure China didn't, didn't take over Taiwan, making sure there was no inflation, creating an energy-independent country, rebuilding our military and law enforcement, saving our Second Amendment, protecting our border and cutting taxes. Now Russia is invading Ukraine. Our economy is being destroyed. Our border is once again overrun. And the mandate continues. Instead of focusing on America, the media just wants to talk about their plan to get Trump. The people won't stand for it any longer. That was ultimately the statement that he released. However, there were drafts of the statement. And how do we know all of this? Let's not forget the search warrant affidavit that the Department of Justice submitted when they executed the search warrant. They had to get the approval of Magistrate Judge Reinhardt, which they got on August 5th of 2022, accompanying the search warrant submission that they made to Magistrate Judge Reinhardt. They had the search warrant affidavit, which Judge Reinhardt, you'll recall, unsealed some portions of it. Other portions remain sealed. But let's take a look at some of the key uh, points in this search warrant affidavit, because it also explains everything that's going on. We have to connect the dots here, right? Paragraph 25 of the search warrant affidavit in connection with the search warrant executed at Mar-a-Lago several months later in August of 2022 refers to the February 18, 2022 situation. On February 18, 2022, the archivist of the United States, Chief Administrator for NARA, stated in a letter to Congress's Committee on Oversight and Reform, Chairwoman the Honorable Karen B. Maloney, that NARA had ongoing communications with representatives of former President Trump throughout 2021, which resulted in the transfer of 15 boxes to NARA in January 2022. NARA has identified items marked as classified national security information within the boxes. The letter also stated that, quote, because NARA identified classified information in the boxes, NARA staff has been in communication with the Department of Justice. This letter was made publicly available at the following uniform resource located URL. On February 18, 2022, the same day, the Save America Political Action Committee PAC, which... Taylor Budowich was the spokesperson, posted the following statement on behalf of Donald Trump. The National Archives did not find anything. They were given upon request, presidential records, in an ordinary and routine process to ensure the preservation of my legacy and in accordance with the Presidential Records Act. An image of the statement is below. And then as you go to the paragraphs below, they are all redacted. 
we believe the reason for these redactions. It describes the process whereby drafts were being prepared by Trump and Taylor Butowich regarding uh, Donald Trump's uh, attempts to claim that everything had been returned, showing his intent that he knew that he was stealing records that absolutely did not belong to him, and this was part of his attempt to cover up the theft of these records and his intent to use these records for purposes that could be harmful to our national security. And now we know from other reporting we've done here on the Midas Touch Network, we believe the Department of Justice has informed Donald Trump's lawyers that Donald Trump is a target officially of the criminal investigation by Special Counsel Jack Smith, that charges are imminent for obstruction of justice and the Espionage Act violations, among other charges. And when we see that you have Jay Bratt, the top counterintelligence official of the DOJ, as the person asking the questions of Taylor Butowich, former spokesperson of the Save America PAC, who is now the head of a PAC called MAGA Inc. as well, you connect the dots there, and obviously there are serious, serious concerns regarding Donald Trump engaging in violations of the Espionage Act. Why else would you have the top counterintelligence official being the one asking those questions in this particular forum? It should also be mentioned that this uh, grand jury in the Southern District of Florida Federal Courthouse has been uh, taking testimony from other individuals at Mar-a-Lago who work at Mar-a-Lago over uh, the last month. Um, and look, folks, things look like it's moving closer and closer ultimately uh, to this indictment, which could drop, I think, now at uh, any moment uh, in time. But there you have it, folks. You got Taylor Butowich. Oh, Taylor Butowich responded. I could try to read for you the response by Butowich which he's a Trumper, and, you know, you could uh, pretty much uh, surmise what he's going to say. Let me pull it up, Taylor Butowich. Butowich wrote, I'll read you some portion today, and what can only be described as a bogus and deeply troubling effort to use the power of government to get Trump. I fulfilled a legal obligation to testify in front of a federal grand jury, and I answered every question honestly. America has become sick in a broken nation by what people. These people, folks. Anyway, justice is on its way. I'm Ben Micellis from the Midas Touch Network. Um, hit subscribe. Rewind. We're on our way to 1.5 million subscribers. Help us get. I'm Ben Micellis from the Midas Touch Network, a leader of one of Donald Trump's political action groups who used to be the spokesperson for another one of Donald Trump's political action groups, testified before the criminal grand jury now impaneled in the Southern District of Florida, in the federal courthouse in Miami, in connection with Special Counsel Jack Smith's ongoing criminal investigation into Donald Trump's theft of government records and obstruction of justice. And of note, the individual who did the questioning of this individual, Tyler Butowich, the Donald Trump uh, Political Action Committee leader, the individual questioning him was none other than Jay Bratt. Now, Jay Bratt is the top counterintelligence 
official at the Department of Justice. You may remember the name Jay Bratt as well as he was the individual who met with Donald Trump's lawyers at Mar-a-Lago on June 3rd of 2022 when Donald Trump's lawyers presented Jay Bratt with an attestation under penalty of perjury that they conducted a diligent search of Mar-a-Lago and did not identify any additional classified records other than the 38 classified records they turned over to Jay Bratt at that meeting. Of course, we know that attestation to be completely false as the Department of Justice executed a search warrant on Mar-a-Lago in August of 2022 and found thousands of other government records and over 100 classified records and many folders with classified markings that were indeed empty. This uh, uh, presentation of Taylor Budowich, uh, the questioning of Taylor Budowich before the grand jury in Florida took about one hour in length, and one of the areas that it focused on was a statement that Donald Trump released when Budowich was the spokesperson uh, after Donald Trump returned 15 boxes of records back in January of 2022. You'll just recall the timeline was Donald Trump stole declassified records and other uh, records uh, from the White House in January of 2021 after he was defeated in the election. The National Archives reached out to him in May of 2021. Donald Trump lies and lies and lies. He's caught lying. And then he says in January of 2022, hey, I've got these 15 boxes. This uh -huh. is all I have. I'm going to return it to you, DOJ. Donald Trump turned over uh, a number of newspaper clippings and magazines, but interspersed within those magazines and newspaper clippings was sensitive compartmented information, classified records, and other top secret records. And the National Archives then referred this matter after Donald Trump returned those 15 boxes to the Department of Justice, which then picked up the investigation thereafter. But you see, Donald Trump issued a statement on or around February 18th, 2022, about the boxes that were returned to the National Archives. This is what Donald Trump states. And by the way, this uh, statement by Donald Trump, again, would have been released through Taylor Budowich. Donald Trump's spokesperson at the time. That's why Taylor Budowich is being questioned by the top counterintelligence official at the Department of Justice, among other reasons. There is also two, there's also believed to be drafts of this statement as well that Donald Trump had prepared, also stating that he had turned over all classified records and all uh, records and all government records and that he didn't have anything at all. The Department of Justice, we have learned, has their hands on the drafts that Donald Trump prepared with Budowich. But let me read you this statement that was released by Donald Trump, but through Budowich, uh, his spokesperson. It says the following. The National Archives did not, quote, find anything. They were given upon request presidential records in an ordinary and routine process to ensure the preservation of my legacy and in accordance with the Presidential Records Act. If this was anyone but Trump, there would be no story here. Instead, the Democrats are in search of their next scam. 
the Russia, Russia, Russia hoax uh. turned out to be a Democrat-inspired fake story to help crooked Hillary Clinton, impeachment hoax number one, impeachment hoax number two, and so much more has all been a hoax. The fake news is making it seem like oh, me hoax, as hoax. the president of the United States was working in a filing room. Put no, I was busy bars. destroying ISIS, building the great economy America had ever seen, the greatest economy America had ever seen, brokering peace deals, making sure Russia didn't attack Ukraine, making sure China didn't, didn't take over Taiwan, making sure there was no inflation, creating an energy-independent country, rebuilding our military and law enforcement, saving our Second Amendment, protecting our border, and cutting taxes. Now Russia is invading Ukraine. Our economy is being destroyed. Our border is once again overrun, and the mandate continues. Instead of focusing on America, the media just wants to talk about their plan to get Trump the people won't stand for it any longer. That was ultimately the statement that he released. However, there were drafts of the statement, and how do we know all of this? Let's not forget the search warrant affidavit that the Department of Justice submitted when they executed the search warrant. They had to get the approval of Magistrate Judge Reinhardt, which they got on August 5th of 2022 accompanying the search warrant submission that they made to Magistrate Judge Reinhardt. They had the search warrant affidavit, which Judge Reinhardt, you'll recall, unsealed some portions of it. Other portions remain sealed. But let's take a look at some of the key uh, points in this search warrant affidavit, because it also explains everything that's going on. here. We have to connect the dots here, right? Paragraph 25 of the search warrant affidavit in connection with the search warrant executed at Mar-a-Lago several months later on August of 2022 refers to the February 18, 2022 situation. On February 18, 2022, the archivist of the United States, Chief Administrator for NARA, stated in a letter to Congress's Committee on Oversight and Reform, Chairwoman the Honorable Karen B. Maloney, that NARA had ongoing communications with representatives of former President Trump throughout 2021, which resulted in the transfer of 15 boxes to NARA in January 2022. NARA has identified items marked as classified national security information within the boxes. The letter also stated that, quote, because NARA identified classified information in the boxes, NARA staff has been in communication with the Department of Justice. This letter was made publicly available at the following uniform resource located URL. On February 18, 2022, the same day, the Save America Political Action Committee PAC, which Taylor Budowich was the spokesperson, posted the following statement on behalf of Donald Trump. The National Archives did not find anything. They were given upon request presidential records in an ordinary and routine process to ensure the preservation of my legacy and in accordance with the Presidential Records Act, an image of the statement is below. And then as you go to the paragraphs below, they are all redacted. We believe the reason for these redactions, it describes the process whereby drafts were being prepared by Trump and Taylor Butowich regarding uh, Donald Trump's uh, attempts to claim that everything had been returned, showing his intent that he knew that he was stealing records that absolutely did not belong to him, and this was part of his attempt to cover up the theft of these records and 
is intent to use these records for purposes that could be harmful to our national security. And now we know from other reporting we've done here on the Midas Touch Network, we believe the Department of Justice has informed Donald Trump's lawyers that Donald Trump is a target official for 15 boxes to NARA in January 2022. NARA has identified items marked as classified national security information within the boxes. The letter also stated that, quote, because NARA identified classified information in the boxes, NARA staff has been in communication with the Department of Justice. This letter was made publicly available at the following uniform resource located URL. On February 18, 2022, the same day, the Save America Political Action Committee PAC, which... Taylor Budowich was the spokesperson, posted the following statement on behalf of Donald Trump. The National Archives did not find anything. They were given upon request presidential records in an ordinary and routine process to ensure the preservation of my legacy and in accordance with the Presidential Records Act. An image of the statement is below. And then as you go to the paragraphs below, they are all redacted. We believe the reason for these redactions, it describes the process whereby drafts were being prepared by Trump and Taylor Butowich regarding uh, Donald Trump's uh, attempts to claim that everything had been returned, showing his intent that he knew that he was stealing records that absolutely did not belong to him. And this was part of his attempt to cover up the theft of these records and his intent to use these records for purposes that could be harmful to our national security. And now we know from other reporting we've done here on the Midas Touch Network, we believe the Department of Justice has informed Donald Trump's lawyers that Donald Trump is a target officially of the criminal investigation by Special Counsel Jack Smith, that charges are imminent for obstruction of justice, and the Espionage Act violations, among other charges. And when we see that you have Jay Bratt, the top counterintelligence official of the DOJ, as the person asking the questions of Taylor Butowich, former spokesperson of the Save America PAC, who is now the head of a PAC called MAGA Inc. <laughs> as well, you connect the dots MAGA there, and obviously... There are serious, serious concerns regarding Donald Trump engaging in violations of the Espionage Act. Why else would you have the top counterintelligence official being the one asking those questions in this particular fora? It should also be mentioned that this uh, grand jury in the Southern District of Florida Federal Courthouse has been uh, taking testimony from other individuals at Mar-a-Lago who work at Mar-a-Lago over uh, the last month, um, and look, folks, things look like it's moving close.
Closer ultimately uh, to this indictment, which could drop, I think, now at uh, any Tomorrow. moment uh, in yeah. time. But there you have it, folks. You got Taylor Butowich. Oh, yeah. Taylor Butowich responded. Nice. I could try to read for you the response by Butowich, which he's a Trumper, and you know, you could uh, pretty put much him behind bars, uh, right? surmise what he's going to say. Breaking Donald Trump will be what? Butowich wrote. Federally indicted on multiple today, charges tomorrow early afternoon press conference being prepared. Jack Smith and Merrick Garland are expected to speak. To get Trump, I fulfilled the legal obligation to testify in front of a federal grand jury, and I answered every question honestly. America has become sick and a broken nation. Hold on, what the hell are these people? These people, folks. Anyway, justice is on its way. And then my soul is from the Midas Touch Network. Hit subscribe. We're on our way to 1.5 million subscribers. Help us get there. Check us out at patreon.com slash touch or wherever you get audio podcasts, subscribe to the Midas Touch Network. Hit subscribe on our YouTube channel and have a great day. Lock him up. Indictment season is upon us. Celebrate with the new indictment season t-shirt and v-neck exclusively at store.midastouch.com. Hey, breaking DOJ prepared to indict Trump as Meadows makes uh, I'm Ben Micellis from the Midas Touch Network, and this is a breaking news alert. He's and the gonna... breaking news we've been waiting for, folks. Mm. It is now being reported first by the Independent that prosecutors are ready to ask for Donald Trump to be indicted on obstruction of justice and Espionage Act charges in connection with Donald Trump's theft of thousands of government records, as well as Donald Trump's obstruction of justice in connection with the Department of Justice's criminal investigation into his theft. We are also learning this, folks, and this is big. According to this report by The Independent, written by Andrew Feinberg, Mark Meadows, Donald Trump's former chief of staff, has agreed to plead guilty yeah. to lesser charges in exchange for an immunity deal. Let me just read directly from the Independence uh, report. They state the following. Mr. Meadows has already given evidence before the grand jury and is said to be cooperating with the investigation into his former boss. It is understood that the former North Carolina congressman will plead guilty to several federal charges as part of a deal for which he has already received limited immunity in exchange for his testimony, folks. That means if this reporting is correct and comes from a very 
credible source that Mark Meadows has flipped on Donald Trump will be testifying against Donald Trump in exchange for a limited immunity deal and in, in exchange for Mark Meadows agreeing to plead guilty to several federal charges. Let me also read from this portion of the uh, report by The Independent. Another source familiar with this matter has said that Donald Trump's team was recently informed that he is a target of the Justice Department probe, which began in early 2022 after National Archives and Records Administration officials discovered more than 100 documents bearing classification markings in a set of 15 boxes of Trump administration records retrieved from Mar-a-Lago. Um, and earlier in the day, it was reported by someone by the name of John Solomon, who is a kind of right-wing reporter who usually gets scoops directly from Donald Trump and Donald Trump's team. Remember, John Solomon is the individual who Mark Meadows wanted to funnel information and videos to about the January 6th insurrection. So he is very close to all of the right-wing leaders, the MAGA Republican leaders. John Solomon reported earlier in the day breaking Feds inform Donald Trump that he is a target and likely to be indicted as Department of Justice rebuffs prosecutorial misconduct claim. I think that refers to the meeting where three of Donald Trump's lawyers met with special counsel Jack Smith earlier in the week to whine and to complain. That meeting ultimately went nowhere, and we saw Donald Trump's lawyer, Jim Trustee, Lindsey Halligan, and John Rowley entering and exiting the Department of Justice office building. Maggie Haberman, meanwhile, from the New York Times, spoke with Donald Trump earlier in the day, and she said that Trump tells me minutes ago he has not been told He's getting indicted, by the way, which means he has been told. She goes, Trump tells me, because everything he says is a lie. Trump tells me minutes ago he has not been told he's getting indicted when contacted. Quote, it's not true, he said, adding again, he hasn't done anything wrong. She then linked to the John Solomon uh, article. And then uh, she posted one of Donald Trump's recent posts on his social media platform that he just made. And Donald Trump states the following. No one has told me I'm being indicted, and I shouldn't be, because I've done nothing wrong, but I have assumed for years that I am a target of the weaponized DOJ and FBI, starting with Russia, 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 hoax, the no collusion Mueller report, impeachment hoax number one, impeachment hoax number two, the perfect, he puts that in caps, Ukraine phone call, and various other scams and witch hunts, a travesty of justice and election interference at a level never seen before. Republicans in Congress must make this their number one issue. He's making a rallying call right now to the insurrectionists in Congress, the MAGA Republicans, to try to bail him out of this. They have no power to do that whatsoever, but they want he wants them to interfere with special counsel Jack Smith's uh, ongoing criminal investigation and likely soon indictments that are about to uh, take place. And we've reported here on the Midas Touch Network, for 
example, that MAGA Republican Jim Jordan has already written letters to the Department of Justice to try to interfere with Special Counsel Jack Smith's criminal investigation. This is one of our new favorite partners, Shortform. Shortform isn't just some run-of-the-mill product. This is truly amazing, and at its core, Shortform is condensed books. Look, we're all in credit the Mamba mentality, which is a powerful on the annual subscription of Shortform at shortform.com slash Midas. From the independent report, no big surprises on the charges that special counsel Jack Smith is pursuing, violations of the Espionage Act and obstruction of justice earlier